Don't you love Christmas? Man, I absolutely love Christmas. I mean, I love when lights start going up. I'm one of those guys that when lights start going down, I get bummed. I get upset because I really love Christmas. There are lots of things to love about Christmas. I love the food at Christmas. Can I get an amen on that? Man, when I was growing up, Mom used to make uh, these peanut butter balls covered in chocolate. Oh, yeah. Right. That's not an amen. That's a, oh, yeah. I used to get that. Mom and Dad are actually here. They made it. They're at the back. And uh, that means that with them is puppy chow. Anybody, anybody like puppy chow? You know what I'm, not, not the food like you give to dogs. I'm talking about puppy chow and some oyster crackers and Check, you know, just lots of good food. I love the food at Christmas. Somebody just tell me, what's your favorite food at Christmas? Ambrosia, all right? Y'all don't like much food at Christmas. Nobody's saying anything. All right, there you go. That's good. All right. I love that at Christmas. I love television at Christmas. Christmas specials. I put this on Facebook a few weeks ago, um, or a couple of weeks ago. I, I sat down with my boys and... Um, all of the Andy Griffiths are on Netflix. I don't know if any of y'all have Netflix that like Andy Griffith or vice versa, but they're there. And there's a particular episode I used to watch with my dad every year, and I sat down with the boys to watch it. And it's the episode, it's the Christmas episode where old man Ben in town gets, uh, is just having a bah humbug kind of Christmas. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. And there's that scene in that, in that show when Ben, they're singing, you know, Andy has to put the guys in jail, but then he brings Christmas to the jail. And there's that scene in the show when Andy's sitting down and starts to play away in the manger, and Ben is on the outside of the jail looking in. And every time I see it, I about, you know, lose control of my emotions, all right? I love that Christmas special, Charlie Brown's Christmas special, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The, the people that do Christmas specials, you know, Michael Buble did one this year, those singing Christmas specials. I love that. I love Christmas movies, you know. Uh, Merry Christmas, you old wonderful building and loan running through the streets, right? Every time a bell rings, angel gets its wings, right? I love that. It's a wonderful life. I love you'll shoot your eye out, right? And Triple Dog Dare with Ralphie. I love that. I love, um, Eddie, if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be any more surprised. All right? I love Christmas movies. But I really love Christmas music. Now, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those people that think that Christmas music should only be played from Thanksgiving to Christmas. How many of those people are here today? And then there are those people that think that you can start playing Christmas music as soon as Cracker Barrel puts up the Christmas decorations, which I think this year was July the 7th, all right? Amen? I love Christmas music. And uh, this week I ran across um, the top 100 Christmas songs. Now let me just say before we talk about this a little bit, this is not my list, Okay? This is somebody else's list. So I don't want to come up after the service. I can't believe you put that song on your list. It's not my list, all right? This is a list that someone wrote. I will give you the website if you are really upset about it and want to file a formal complaint. But there are some songs, and here's what I thought we would do, all right? 
I thought, just for fun, we'd try to guess a couple of these, all right? So I'm going to give you some facts about the song. you got some people around you. Before we do that, turn to some people around and tell them your favorite Christmas song, all right? Just people around you, tell them what your favorite Christmas song is. Take a minute, I'll wait on you, all right? All right, we got some high fives going on over here. Boy, they like that, they like that Christmas music, all right? All right, here's what we're going to do. With those same group of people you kind of shared with, we're going to put some facts up on the screen. We're going to try this. John, you can go ahead and put the first one up. All right, it was released in 1947, focuses on a Christmas road, and includes a gospel invitation. Anybody got a clue? All right, Diane, let's see if we can play it. It's exactly what you were thinking, right? Right? All right, you cut it. So it's Here Comes Santa Claus. Did y'all, did y'all know 1947? You know where the gospel invitation is there? No, well, it's before that. Peace on earth, goodwill will come if we will just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above, because Santa Claus comes tonight. Now, you know, maybe it's not the full-fledged <laughs> spiritual laws, but it's there, all right? All right, here's another one. Released in 1979. One of the singers shares a name with the Sesame Street character, and it's grandmother's least favorite. All right, let's go, Diane. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Walking home from right, that's a lot of that stuff. That. You know, there is, there is in that song a very deep question. I mean, what do we do with the presents? Do we... Keep them or send them back, right? Grandma's got one over by a reindeer, hoof prints on her head. We have to debate about the presents, all right? All right well, another one, here we go. This one's kind of an interesting, this is more my generation here. Released in 1984, created to help family, uh, the famine in Ethiopia, and it was sung by members of Cool and the Gang and Paul McCartney together, along with in, many others. It's not We Are the World. All right, you can play it. It's called Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid. Do you know this song? It's Christmas time. Paul McCartney, Cool and the Gang, a lot of British stars. No All right, you got it. So, now, here's the thing. As, those are all more recent, right? But we know, as believers, that... There are also some really, this, some songs on that top 100 list that are deeply spiritual and theological, all right? And so we're going to play a couple of those, see if you know these, all right? These are more traditional carols kind of stuff. Let's go. This one's written in 1739, a couple of years ago. Composed by John Wesley, changed by George Whitefield and Mendelssohn, and Wesley wanted it sung to the tune of Christ the Lord is risen today. Anybody know this one? All right, go with it. Mark the herald angel sing. It's kind of interesting because now some of you in your mind are trying to sing it to Christ the Lord is risen today. That's what Wesley originally thought. And uh, George Whitfield changed some of the words. And then Mendelssohn wrote the, the music that would go with it. All right, that's good. Here's another one. Written in 1865. The words were written by William Chatterton. Dicks after severe depression, and the tune is adapted from a song about a woman with a reputation like Rahab. Bet you didn't know that. 
Or a lot of you didn't. All right. Anybody got a guess? It's what child is this? That's right. The tune is actually called Green Sleeves, which was written about women with reputations like Rahab. Somebody took some words, put it on top of that. So people have been taking contemporary music and putting Christian words on top of it for at least a couple of hundred years. All right. Here's the last one. First performed on Christmas Eve, 1818. Written specifically for guitar and has been translated into 140 languages, right? Silent Night. Play it, Diane. I love this song. And that, I mean, there is no way that this priest had written this poem. He wrote this poem several months before Christmas Eve. And he went to this guy that was doing music and he said, we're having a Christmas Eve service. And I've got this poem. Now, there are rumors that the organ was broken or whatever. But whatever the case, he said, I just want you to write some guitar chords to go with it. And so he started writing this music. Now, there is no way that those two guys could have imagined, could have imagined at all the impact that those words in that tune would have. Tomorrow night, we've got a Christmas Eve service. Guess what one of the songs is we'll have? Silent Night. Don't you love it? Just the, it says Christmas. You know what's amazing about this song? Is that really Silent Night describes the night when a series of silent nights were answered. You know that in the Bible, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're just going to let this play for a minute. And in Matthew chapter 1, what I love is, it's the first book in what? The New Testament. And if you look, just a couple of pages before that is Malachi. And in a four-chapter prophecy, Malachi says the last words of God for four hundred years. And when you turn that one page in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's 400 years when God went silent. No prophet, no word, no scripture. Malachi ends and 400 years of silent nights begin. 400 years. One page makes it seem insignificant. But when you consider our country has only been around 230 something years. 400 is a long time. You know, at Christmas, sometimes, sometimes at Christmas, it seems like we come to the silent night of December 25th, living through our own series of weeks or months or years of silent nights. I mean, in fact, in Malachi, and we're going to look at Matthew 1 in just a minute, but in Malachi, it's this interesting thing because it's almost like Malachi in some ways has this um, 
final parting love letter to people. And in fact, you don't have to turn there, but in Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, God starts that whole thing by saying, I have loved you. And the word there doesn't just mean, I used to love you. It means, I have loved you, I am loving you, and I will love you. It's almost like God is kind of preparing them, saying, I'm getting ready to go away for a little bit. I'm going to have a little time of silence. But don't worry, I have, I do, and I will love you. Malachi shuffles off the scene, and the curtain comes down for 400 years. Years. People didn't stop praying for God to show up in those 400 years. People didn't stop asking God to do something amazing in those 400 years. But he went silent. You ever felt like God's gone silent in your life? Maybe you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed about something. You've asked and you've asked and you've asked about something. And it seems that it is just silent. Maybe you're somebody that's, a, somebody that's not really a follower of God, but at one time you thought, you know what, I'm just going to try. I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask. And you prayed and you did your best and nothing happened. Or maybe you're somebody that followed the Lord for all of your life, for most of your life. And in the midst of it, one day you said, Lord, I really need this and nothing happened. Maybe you've seen friends get their prayers answered and yours remain silent. How do you deal with silent nights? In Matthew chapter 1, I want us to look at how God broke the silence. Here's what I want to ask you to understand and what I want you to kind of get. There's a couple of things. First of all, just simply this. Don't mistake God's silence for God's absence. Don't mistake God's silence for His absence. What I love about Matthew chapter 1 is it gives us this long genealogy. And we we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But I want to go down um, to verse 22. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night, but... I know most of you weren't here Wednesday night, so it's okay, all right? I love verse 22. It says this, all this, it talks about that Jesus is going to be born, that you're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save his people from his sins. And it says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, what I think is interesting about that is basically it says, this all happened, everything that you know. The last 400 years of silence, God has been orchestrating and moving and doing things to get situations and circumstances ready for the arrival of His final revelation. Of His complete knowledge in Jesus. And what I think is interesting is, In those 400 years, there were people that thought that God had abandoned them, that had walked away from them, that God had stopped giving His promises, had stopped fulfilling His promises. And yet here we see, it's not that He stopped doing anything. It's that He's been orchestrating the events of world history to come to this moment when Jesus would be born. Just because He's silent does not mean He is absent. In fact, that's going to be confirmed in just a moment because it says there that the virgin will be with child and will give birth and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is confirming that I have not been absent from you ever and I will never be absent from you. I may have been silent, but I am not absent. There's a difference. Do you understand that? 
There's a difference in silence and absence. And there are a lot of people, scripturally and in life, who mistake God's silence for absence and make decisions that become devastating to them. Adam and Eve kind of thought God had left them for a little bit in the garden and they mistook His silence at the moment for absence. Abram had been given a promise about a child and God hadn't answered that and so he took matters into his own hands to solve that issue and messed up his life pretty good. Saul decided that he would take matters into his own hands instead of waiting on the Lord. Peter oftentimes jumped ahead of what God was doing and made a mess of his life because of it without Christ. In those moments of silence, don't make decisions on your own that jeopardize the will of God in your life. What I want to think about for just a moment is this. One of the ways to break through the silence. Now listen, if God doesn't want to speak, guess what? God ain't going to speak, all right? So there's nothing you can do to manipulate God. But there are some things hidden in the way God broke His silence that you can do in your own life to help push forward to discover what God may be doing in your life. What I want us to see in what He did in breaking the silence is a couple of things that we can do moving forward. And the first thing is, and it goes to this idea of Him coming to earth, is that God decided to get in the mess. And sometimes when it feels like God is silent in our life, the thing that we need to jumpstart, to kickstart, to get going again in our walk with the Lord, is we need to get messy. Now, I want you to look at this passage. Remember we looked a couple of weeks ago at this uh, story of the genealogy of Jesus? Y'all remember that? And all these crazy people that are in the genealogy of Jesus. What I think is interesting is this. The person he's associated with most closely is probably the worst person on the list. Who does it say right at the beginning? Matthew chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles open. Matthew 1, verse 1 says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Who's the first person that associates him with? David, right? Now we know David's falling, right? We know David's falling with Bathsheba, but listen to about some other things. I mean, this is part of Jesus' family. This is the one he most closely aligns with. He told a lie, David did, that resulted in the death of 85 priests. David had an affair with his friend's wife, one of his best friend's wives, and then arranged to have his best friend or one of his best friends killed because of the pregnancy that came from the affair. He had a son that he wouldn't discipline no matter what, even after his son committed rape, he wouldn't discipline him. He lost his family. One of his own sons rose up against him to try to take the throne. It was a disaster. And yet God says, Jesus proudly is the son of David. Now here's the reason. Why does that matter? Why does he say son of David? It matters because of God's promises, not because of David's goodness. And here's the truth. One of the most amazing things about the Christmas story to me is that God decided to leave the comfort of heaven in the form of His Son. And He got messy right here with us. Do you know what we all know how to do? Is make a mess. Right? Anybody got kids out there? You don't give an amen? Right? 
Susan and I, a couple of years ago, you know, one of the things that we usually do around Christmas is we let the kids go home with, with my parents and spend some time in Dyersburg and in Jackson. And there, there was a couple of years ago, I remember we were sitting there and all our kids were gone. And we were sitting there and Susan said, I haven't had to pick anything off the floor today. Right? We know how to make a mess. Now, it's not just physical stuff. It's not just toys out. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not just kids that can make a mess. We know how to make a mess of our own lives. And we've been doing that since our ancestors began. And God said, I don't care. I love you so much that I'm going to get involved with what you're doing. I read a story recently. There was a tragic story. It happened a few years ago. This little boy was um, was playing around this river. And he slipped off. The boy's name was Martin Turge. And he slipped off a rock in the Prairie River and he fell in. There were at least a dozen adults standing around watching. And Martin Turgeon fell into the river, struggled for a while, and eventually went under for good. When they asked the adults why they were not going to get in with him, they found out that apparently a plant upstream, just a couple of miles, had been dumping sewage into the river. It was dangerous to their health. It was dirty. It was messy. And so none of the adults were willing to jump in. That seems ridiculous to us, right? You jump in, you save the boy, you don't watch. Here's the truth, church. There are thousands around us who are in the mess that this world has created. And if we're not willing to get a little dirty to tell them about Jesus, then we have lost our perspective of what God intends for us to do. God with us, Emmanuel, is much more than just God came near. It's not God came near. It's that God took on flesh. He took on blood. He got right here in the mess. And He didn't just make a drive through, right? He lived here for years. For you and for me. We've been talking about unexpected Christmas this whole month. And I wonder in your life, what would it look like for you to get messy? To get involved Not just for the sake of being involved, but for the sake of sharing Christ. Here's the second thing that Christ did in that first Christmas, what God did. It tells us that Jesus came to save us from our sins. So let me ask you to do something else this Christmas. And that is give somebody a second chance. Or third. Or fourth. Or fifth. Aren't you glad God didn't give up on us? Amen? Scripture says that Jesus was given the name Jesus because He will save His people from His sins. And let me just ask you this. If God has forgiven you all that you have done, and don't try to pretend because you're in church on the Sunday before Christmas that you hadn't done some really bad stuff. Amen? I didn't get a very hearty amen, but I got, I got some head nods. I got some pointing. Yeah, you know. You know who you're talking to over there. We've all done it. If God is willing to forgive us, what in the world can somebody do to us that doesn't deserve forgiveness? 
I'm not saying they've earned it. I'm not saying they've asked for it because Jesus came. Everybody thought when the Messiah came, he would come to set the nation free from the tyranny of the oppressors of the Roman Empire. But that's not why he came. They hadn't asked for forgiveness of sins, but he came to give it anyways. They hadn't earned forgiveness of sins, but he came to give it anyways. And the people in your life may not earn it or ask for it, but that doesn't mean you can't give it. In fact, one of the greatest gifts you can give to people at Christmas times is wrapped in any kind of box. It is simply saying, I forgive you. Or at least in your spirit, letting it go if you've already said the words. What do you want the Lord to do for you in the next couple of days? I mean, the truth is, when most of you leave here, it is a whirlwind till Tuesday. You've got parties, you've got family, you've got gifts, you've got food, you've got Christmas story. Oh, yeah, we've got to pack a Christmas. We've got to put that in there because we've got to be religious when we open our gifts. We've we got, we got songs to listen to. We've got movies to watch. We've got family to see. We've got to get all this stuff done. And it's just, oh, what am I going to do? 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 What do you want the Lord to do over the next couple of days? Is there a relationship that needs to be mended? And do you need to give forgiveness? And is there someone you need to talk to about Jesus? Are you willing... This Christmas and in moving ahead to get messy on account of the Lord. Are you willing to give someone a second, a third, a fourth chance this Christmas? After 400 years of silence, God's presence became real in a moment. And I guess the most important question that needs to be asked at this Christmas time is if you received the gift that God gave at that Christmas. You see, it's kind of hard to forgive and there's no use in getting messy if you haven't first given your heart and your life and your soul to Jesus Christ. And there is no better time of year to do that than right now. To take the gift that Jesus has offered and take it for your own. In fact, at Christmas time, it's often uh, good to remind ourselves that you don't have to take the presents that you're offered, right? Right? I'm not talking about regifting. I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like, if someone says, "Here, here's a present," you know what you can say? Okay, I've never had a child do that for me. All right. Now, after they've opened some clothes, they may be a little less than enthused, but at the moment, they've never refused. Here's the thing, Christmas offers the promise of Jesus and it is an offer that you can accept or refuse. I tell this story sometimes when I was in college at Union. One of the highlights of the day always was mail time. All right. Anybody go to college? No, love mail time. All right. You go and you go there and all the mail at Union were in these little bitty boxes. Right. And mine was the bottom box. In fact, I mean, it was in the corner, the bottom, I could, if, if I went to it, I could probably still do the combination. But you had to get down on the floor. I had to get down on my knees and do that. And usually in the college mailbox, there are the prerequisite 400 credit card offers trying to get college students early, right? There's the uh, information from different places, maybe a card from home. But on very special occasions, there was a slip of paper in there. And it just said... That you had a package at the front desk. 
That slip of paper was like the greatest mystery in the history of the world. What is it? What have I got? What, what is that? Gonna, you know. And here's the thing. I would pull that strip of paper out of there, and then I had a choice. I could take it to the front desk and get my package. I could go back to my room and just say, hey, I'll get it some other time. I could look at it and say, you know what? I might think about that, but I'm not real sure I want it right now. It's just not the right time. Let me get some things together back in my room, because who knows what's going to be in the package. I might need to take it back there. What did I do with it when I got the slip? I I ran sometimes to get it, all right? Here's the thing. Christmas is kind of like God left that strip of paper in your mailbox that says you've got a gift waiting on you. But if you never claim the gift, it doesn't do you any good. This morning, if you're here and you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation and I'm going to ask you, if that's you this morning, that you come talk to me. You come ask me some questions. You tell me that's what's on your mind. We're going to have this area up here open. You can come and pray. Perhaps you want to come talk to me or pray about some way that you need to forgive or some ways that you need to get messy. But I'm just going to ask you this morning, whether you've had a series of silent nights or whether you feel like the Lord and you are walking together side by side at the moment. What do you want the Lord to do for you today? And are you willing to get messy? Are you willing to forgive to see Him? Let's pray together.